Five, four, three, two, one. Oh, he sounds like the Godfather. We got the. How you doing? Oh, we got looking at a picture here in California. How you doing, Godfather? Oh, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, see, it works to your benefit. So I can talk just like you. Yeah, like what? <laughs> like, like that. You got that breathy thing. Now, you were a cinematographer. You still are a cinematographer from California, and you're only a year older than me. You worked with Sam Peckinpah, the legend himself. Who else did you work with? Uh, Sam Peckinpah was the, the best director I ever worked with, but I worked with a bunch of other directors in, in the horror end of it, which was uh, rather disconcerting. What, what, name some of the motion pictures you uh, worked on. The Hills Have Eyes, Friday the 13th, Osterman Weekend, Symphony Fantastique, uh, a movie with the, about the conductor Hector Bellios, who was a film we made in Austria, with a world-renowned director there, uh, Dr. Titus Lieber. It was quite an unusual film. He pioneered the use of superimposition in motion pictures back in the in the early 70s. Super what? Imposition. And explain that, would you? It's a multi-layering film where you shoot one image and then place it on top of another image to create another new image. Like a montage? Uh, not a montage. It's actually, it's one image on top of another creating a new scene and each are clearly visible and the action in each is self-explanatory. You can see multiple layers of action at the same time. Wow. Now, you said Sam Peckinpah, uh, well, the legend, the director, uh, the I guess he died of alcoholism, right? Severe alcoholism. Uh, you worked with him, and yet you said uh, you had great admiration for him. Why? I mean, I know he introduced the Wild Bunch, which was so violent. I remember being over near Vassar College at the Juliet Theater, walking out from having seen that, and my heart is pounding, going, oh, my word, I was only 15 or 16 at the time. Now, if you watch The Wild Bunch, it's boring. It's tame compared to what we've gotten used to now, which I'm not sure what that says about our society. Well, our society has become incredibly violent, and uh, that's, not a, that's not a great thing. However, Sam Peckinpah was a leader, not a follower, he did it his way, and he was uh, a tremendous force in the industry. He did create a new genre of films. And what would you say that genre is? The violent, uh, the violent ones, or certainly violence, uh, expressionism. Uh, he was anti-societal in a way, and he represented the the bad guy fairly well, fairly well accurately. Well, they say uh, in alcoholism that they're a uh, rebellious lot or whatever, so that would go along with his alcoholism, that he was, uh, you know, uh, kick, kicked against the goad, so to speak. Yeah, he was, he was the ultimate rebellious uh, director. It was his way or the highway. Okay, so, so tell us about it. Now, t t today, like a Django, uh, who's the director of the famous one, Quentin? Quentin Tarantino. He is a brilliant director. In fact, I went to school at the same place he did. He preceded me by one year at the American Film Institute. He's is he a year older than us? No. Well, he looks younger than us. No, he's probably 
he's probably about our age, maybe a year or two younger. He ages better than we do, Red. Well, what's the? What, <laughs> it's probably all that money. Yeah. Uh, the, the movie that he made with John Travolta, uh, Pulp, Pulp Fiction. Fiction. Now that I saw that for the first time here in Vero Beach, Florida. And it was the first movie in my life that I got up and walked out of. I couldn't take the violence back then. Now, we're broadcasting from C.J. Cannon's today. Ironically, I should make sure you meet him. Uh, Chuck Cannon, the owner here, is our film critic for Vero's Voice magazine. And, of course, Tarantino, I mean, he loves Pulp Fiction. I think it's his favorite motion picture of all time. It sort of glorifies, in some sick way, violence. It does, in, in a manner of speaking. But it also has a religious and spiritual component and uh, a love component. And uh, there's a representation of a, a tremendous deep understanding of brotherhood between the two lead characters. And then the, the female character, Uma Thurman. I mean, it's a, it's a very powerful film. And then you've got uh, Bruce Willis in there with his uh, boxing deal where he murders the the other Bogo and he doesn't murder him, he kills him accidentally. And there's there's so many elements to that movie. I, I admit that the first time I saw it, I had a similar reaction, although I didn't walk out, but I've watched it several times since and each time I watch it I gain a better understanding, a more a more profound understanding of the human condition, if you will. What motion pictures did you work on? Did you work on the Wild Bunch? No, I did not. That was, that was not that old, right? No, that's a, yeah. Because you and I are both about. You're only a year older than me, and I was only 15 or 16, as I said when I watched that. So how did you? How did who who gave you this love? For where are you from originally? Who gave you the love for the motion picture industry? And how did where did you go to school to become a cinematographer? And you know, it's not just putting a camera on your shoulder. You've got to learn all kinds of technical information, right? Yeah, I I was interested in photography from. The moment I knew what pictures were about, which was a very young child. Well, my, because your father was in the lens business. Well, my father actually started out as a professional photographer and then moved into the business end of it. And I, I developed a love for it early. And I had my first camera when I was 10 years old. And by, uh, by the time I was 15, I was shooting 16-millimeter movies. And ultimately, I decided I wanted to go to film school, so I enrolled in Brooks Institute in Santa Barbara and graduated with a degree there in underwater cinematography. In underwater cinematography. That's a highly revered school, right? It's probably the most, uh, well, it's certainly one of the best schools in the world for, for photography, underwater photography. Now, why underwater? What was the appeal? Who introduced you? Who, who, what, what, why, why underwater? I've been a diver since I was 12 years old, and I loved the, the idea of diving and underwater photography. And ironically, you and I have something similar. I had collapsed spontaneous pneumothoraxes when I was alone and had to have emergency surgery at 21. <laughs> you, ironically, here you were a diver. I bet you can't dive anymore because you were shot. Accidentally, somebody was shooting at a restaurant in, in uh, Venice Beach and shot you in, through the lung. You almost died, right? True, but I still dive. You still dive with one lung? How, how many, what capacity do you have in the right lung? Any? Yeah, I've got about 60%. Okay, now let me ask you this. So let's get back to cinematography, though. So, uh, okay, so you go to school. Every, uh, there's a lot of people who would like to go to school and be involved in cinematography. One thing I've heard about the industry is everybody wants to be a star. 
out in Hollywood, everybody wants to be a star, but they say there's plenty of jobs for those who are in technical positions as you were. Is that true? Absolutely not. In fact, when I was when I graduated from Brooks, there were 450 motion pictures shot in Hollywood that year, and there were 4,600 cinematographers as members of the American Society of Cinematographers. That's a whole so, lot of cinematographers that aren't eating very well. Exactly. So it's one in ten. For every every ten cinematographers, there's one film out there. Okay, so how did you, uh, why, were you the, why, why were you picked out? Um, you know, being in the right place at the right time, I made some connections that were very, uh, very positive for me. And how? how what, what advice would you give to a young cinematographer? <laughs> Choose a different career, probably. <laughs> it's just such a competitive field. Unless, you, unless you're willing to put it all out there, and uh, go for it. Now, you worked with Sam Peckinpah. I would think that Quarantino, Quarantino, what's his name? Tarantino. Tarantino, the Tarantino. What's his name? Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino, uh, being the consummate violent movie director today, would want to uh, maybe, uh, if he, I mean, if you went up to him and gave me a resume, he's probably just for the sake of connecting with uh, Peckinpah would want to hire you today. Perhaps it would be an honor, but I am retired. Oh, you are retired? Oh, yes. Yeah. Are you still willing to work like making documentaries or whatever? Or? No, I'm, I'm retired. You don't want to do it anymore? Oh, I would do it under certain circumstances if the subject matter was appropriate, but uh, only in, under that situation. So, uh, how technically oriented? People, people uh, What's differentiate what a director does and what a cinematographer does? How does that work? We're going to set up a scene right here. We're at C.J. Cannon's. Uh, uh, your son's sitting next to me here, and we're, we're a couple of gunslingers. Uh, you know, how, how, who, who executes that? Who decides where the camera is? Uh, do you suggest you have to work out each? Or are all these details uh, 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 drawn out as cartoons prior to? Uh, what, do, what do they call the cartoons in your business? Animation. No, 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 no. That when you do the when you do the sheet. Storyboard. Storyboard. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the director's job is basically he has a vision, and depending on how how clear his vision is, some directors choose to place camera angle, shot, even selection of lens. The cinematographer's basic job is to translate the director's vision into the visual image. Let me ask you this, is most of the work done, this is conjecture on my part, but uh, would you say, let's say, uh, Clint Eastwood decides to read a book, he says this should be a great motion picture, starts to have the screenwriters, he works with the screenwriters, so for two years they're working on it. Then they've got the storyboard all drawn out. I know that Steven Spielberg said he drew, I think it was 1,600 drawings before they went out and did uh, uh, E.T. or whatever. So, okay, and so so is it all, and then the, the going out and executing it is the shooting it, and is that really the easy part? Well, nothing's easy about making a movie. People will be surprised at how incredibly difficult and involved making a movie is. It is usually 16 to 18 hour days, seven days a week, sometimes for months on end. I was on Osterman weekend for five and a half months and I didn't have a day off. And it must be terrifying, you know, for those of us who... Anyway, I go to a motion picture and I see it. And I can tell, having been in that industry a little bit, touching it briefly, 
all the work that went into that. And yet, it just doesn't happen. It doesn't jive. It's incredible. It gets panned by the critics, and it goes away. And you've, somebody took a year, many of those people took a year out of their lives, at least, to do that motion. That's, that's, that, that's whew, the level of The level of intensity that goes into making a movie takes a part of your life. And that's why it's frequently, once you do a film, you take a break. You don't work for a month or two or three. Not because there's not necessarily a job available, but because you need the emotional and psychological break, the downtime from that extreme effort. Does a cinematographer make residuals? That depends on the deal you cut. Usually not. Okay. Uh, well, listen, thanks for taking time to talk with us today about cinematography. I hope we can talk more in the future. My pleasure, Rhett. We've been talking to my friend Rich. We're broadcasting from CJ Cannon's, the restaurant with the beautiful panoramic view of Vero's Municipal Airport Strip. For breakfast, lunch, or dinner, CJ Cannon's.